us uh, this morning, God. Help me uh, to be clear. Uh, help us to listen well. God, I pray that you prepare our hearts and give us the, the strength we need to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, have you guys ever messed something up so bad you're like, I wish I could do that over again. Like, I mean, just totally messed it up. Me neither. None of y'all are, are agreeing. Like, I haven't either, I guess, you know. We never mess up, right? No worries. Now, the truth is, is that we do. We constantly find ourselves saying, you know, I, I really wish I could have that one back. I'd probably do that one a little different next time. Like, like one of the worst parts of uh, leaving church each Sunday morning is as I drive home, I'm thinking, why in the world did I say that? Thankfully, Crystal and I drive separate vehicles, so she doesn't say, why in the world did you say that? But I drive home saying, why did I say that? Why didn't I say this? And so, like I said, thankfully, I, I drive home alone, and I can think about that because so one of the kids ride home with me. And Anyway, that's a whole different subject for a different day. But, but, but each week, I, I drive home thinking, man, why didn't I say that? It, uh, now, I'm not you know, like fishing for compliments. It's not some sort of low-key, like, come on, tell me I'm good or whatever. And that, that's not it. Like every time I stand up here, I wonder, man, why didn't I say this or why didn't I do that? And I'm sure as you look at your own life and you look at the things that you do, you find yourself saying, oh, I could have probably done that better. Oh, I, I messed up right here. See, there, as we look at our lives, we find all sorts of mistakes, all sorts of failures all sorts of mess-ups, if you will, or, uh, or I guess you would say opportunities for improvement. That's a nice way of saying, uh, yeah, you messed up there, buddy. <laughs> uh, there's an opportunity for improvement here, sir. But, it, but something, something that has bugged me since last week is I feel like as we've looked at the passage of Scripture at the beginning of Luke 9, I did not focus, I did not emphasize enough on the grace that we see that God has given to his disciples. I, I feel like I almost set us up for failure as we begin to follow Jesus because I didn't point out that while we do have an, an impossible, lofty goal that Jesus has put in front of us, and I don't want to lower that any, I mean, we actually are called to live perfectly holy lives. I want to point out that we also are given enormous grace. And so I want to, if you will, start over. Not really. I'm not going to start at the beginning of Luke 9. But I want to start over and give us a definition for followers of Jesus, somebody who is following Christ. And this is just something that we're going to see this morning, that followers of Jesus are imperfect people given an impossible calling, trusting in the inexhaustible grace of Jesus Christ. We, we are imperfect not quite perfect right depends on which where you're at this morning maybe you're this close to being perfect maybe you're this close right depends on how much you look around but hey, not quite perfect but you've been given this impossible calling to follow the son of god and to love him and love the people around you this impossible calling but as you do you follow him trusting in his inexhaustible grace, his grace that never wears out. You see, because the problem is, is if we don't lean into that grace, if we don't lean into the grace that he's given us, we end up becoming bitter. We end up becoming legalistic. We end up becoming discouraged. Well, I can't do it. I might as well walk away. We end up not succeeding in following Christ because we're not allowing him to work through us and work in us. And so I, I, I want us to, to look at 
all the ways that the followers of Jesus fail this morning. Well, not, not all the ways, just the, the ways we see at the last half of Luke 9. You know, it's interesting. As we look at the last half of Luke 9, we're going to look at the failures of 12 men who were the apostles. These guys are the inner circle of Jesus. Like, you want to talk about advantages for being a believer. Imagine being one of Jesus' best friends. Imagine spending every day with Jesus. That's who these disciples are. But we're going to look at the ways that they fail, right? Because it's always fun to look at how other people fail and not ourselves. And so let's deflect this morning. And so first, followers of Jesus speak when they should listen. You ever start talking when you felt like you would have been better off not saying anything? Like you start off a sentence and you're like, I wish I could take every word that's coming out of my mouth right now back in. <laughs> that happens to me sometimes. Maybe it doesn't happen to y'all, but it happens to me. Like I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, it's been a little bit since this conversation had my voice in it, and I feel like it's time to put my voice back in it. And so I start to, to talk, and I'm like, oh, here, here it is. This is. I'm about to drop some knowledge here. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I remember uh, whenever I was at Southeastern, at one time as a class, it's just a few of us got to go into the president's office. That Danny Aiken was sort of a, a hero of mine. He's the reason why I went to that school and everything. And so we got to sit down and just sort of soak in his wisdom, right? And so we're listening to the things he's saying, and we get ready to go. And he's like, now, before we go, do any of y'all have any other questions? No one else is saying anything. It's silent. I'm like, I'm about to impress him with this. Watch this. And so, so I, I ask him a question, and... I don't need to know the question. Like, that's not important for our topic this morning. But as I'm beginning to speak, I see the look on his face and the, my classmate's face, and it's not a look of awe. Well, it sort of is a look of awe, but not the kind of awe I was looking for. It's like, what are you talking about, man? Anyway, I was like, never mind. So, uh, but, but that's what we see going on here. Let me get to our passage. Sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took... With him, Peter, him being Jesus, took Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, the two men uh, were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Verse 31 says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So, so up through verse 31 here, we see one of the coolest pictures we see in any of the, of the scriptures of what uh, men, just regular old folks, get to experience. Peter and James and John, so the, the three inner circle of the inner circle of the twelve, go with Jesus up on a mountain. As they're up on a mountain, Jesus is transfigured. His clothes become dazzling white. They get to see some semblance of his glory. We have no clue what this looks like. We just know it's got to be pretty awesome, right? I mean, so they're watching Jesus uh, be transfigured in front of him. They're seeing some of his glory. On top of that, Jesus is walking around and talking with two guys named Moses and Elijah. Now, if you don't know who Moses and Elijah are, like if you were a Jewish boy, you would have a Moses and Elijah poster. No Michael Jordan, you would have Moses and Elijah. Like these are the, the heroes, the celebrities of Jewish history. These are the guys that you would look up to. And so Peter and James and John are on the mountain with Jesus, and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus walking around. But Luke records something for us here that is uh, it's just really interesting. In verse 31, it says that they, uh, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Uh, this word departure here uh, could also be translated exodus. His 
the way that he's going to pull God's people out, how he's going to get his people out uh, of bondage in, in some sense, and also in the sense that he's literally going to exit uh, uh, this planet in a certain way. And so Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus and Moses and Elijah are planning the end of Jesus. Peter, James, and John get to be in on that meeting. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Like they're watching Jesus tell Moses and Elijah, yeah, here's what I'm about to do. They get to hear that. That had to be amazing. But for our purposes, let's look at verse 32. In the middle of all this. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they uh, became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And in verse 33 says, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So Peter, much like me, says, Hey, my shot. I'm about to impress Moses and Elijah, y'all. Y'all watch this. Uh, we're so glad y'all came by. Thank you for coming by and visiting with us. You know, Master, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Me and Peter and, and uh, uh, me, 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 John and James, we're about to build y'all some tents. Let's have a little camping session up here on top of the mountain. There's no reason for them to go. Y'all don't go anywhere yet. Let's, let's savor this moment. It's almost as if he's trying to hang on to them. But also because, I, I mean, you can just sort of picture him. He's like, I don't really know what to say. And so I'm going to take ownership here. And he's like, James, John, you aren't going to step out. Somebody got to say something. Master, let's build some tents. And so, uh, and so Jesus, Peter's in the middle of speaking in verse 34. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. <laughs> and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So Peter's in the middle of, hey, I got a plan. Let me tell y'all what we should do. And it's almost as if God breaks in and says, Peter, please shut your mouth for just a minute and listen. Please stop talking long enough to hear from my son. You notice what he says here. It says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Like, stop talking and hear what he has to say. How often, guys, do we want to tell Jesus where he ought to go, what he ought to be doing, how he ought to be doing things? And, and God tells Peter, and he tells James and John as well, be quiet and listen. You notice it says, and they kept silent here in the middle of verse 36. They did. They sat quietly and listened. I guess if God's glory appeared in a cloud in front of me, I'd probably finally, hopefully, shut my mouth. Peter does, and he listens to what God has to say to him, and he listens to what Jesus has to say to him. We have to be careful, guys, that we aren't always trying to tell Jesus where to go, that we're actually listening to what he has to say. As we're looking for direction in our life, as we're looking for the way that we ought to go, it's important that we, we go to his word, that we sit down and we pray and we, we seek the Spirit's guidance, that we seek the people around us, we seek their guidance and their leadership and their wisdom. Christian people ought to be some of the easiest people to teach in the world. We ought to be always looking for ways that Jesus is teaching us, being quiet and hearing what he has to say. And, and so followers of Jesus, we talk when we shouldn't. We say things when we should be quiet. The, the, uh, the way that we fix that is we listen to what Jesus has to say. Secondly, followers of Jesus show pride when they should show humility. 
Followers of Jesus show pride when they should show humility. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was going to, I thought and thought, and I was trying to figure out a way I could give you all an example of pride from my own life, but I'm just so humble, you know. You see what I did there? I, that's sarcasm. Sarcasm means that I'm not serious, that I'm, you know, I actually have plenty of examples, but I'm not going to share them with you all this morning uh, but, because I'm not humble enough, I guess. But, but we, we have this pride in us that causes us not to hear from God. Instead, we try to stand in our own power. Look at verse 37. On the next day, when they come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Verse 40 says, And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And so while Jesus is on the mountaintop, his disciples are in the valley. While Peter and James and John are getting to experience Jesus transfigured in front of them, the rest of the guys, the rest of the disciples are down in the valley fighting with the demon. And they are losing. This guy had been begging the disciples, and now he's begging Jesus, please help my son, please help my boy. And they can't. They can't do anything for him. And so Jesus comes back down off the mountain, and this man is saying, basically, your disciples failed embarrassingly. Remember last week we talked in chapter 9 about the fact that, that Jesus had given his disciples authority over uh, demons and authority to heal and, and do those things. Well, here, apparently, they had decided that it was their authority and their power. We read in other gospel accounts that when they asked Jesus why they couldn't do this, he says, yeah, that, that type of demon comes out by prayer. In other words, you guys weren't spending enough time in prayer. Y'all were trying to do it in your own power. You're trying to do it in your own strength. If we're not careful, guys, that the pride that we have in our own hearts to try and do what God has called us to do will cause us to fail. We won't see the, that, that we actually need Jesus to change people. We won't see that Jesus is actually the one who can change people. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't change anybody. Like, you can't fix anyone. All those people in your life that you're trying to fix... You can't. I know you want to. I know if they just did what you told them to do, everything would be okay, right? Y'all got any folks like that? Maybe you are folks like that, right? I mean, we, we have a tendency to think that we can fix the people in our life, but the truth is, is we can't. We can't deliver them. Only Christ can. And here we see this reminder for us that these guys could not do it. They could not deliver this little boy. They could not heal him. They could not make him better. Because they were trying to do it in their own power, apparently. We, we could save ourselves a lot of heartache this morning if we forgot or if we remembered that it's not up to us, it's up to Him. If we stopped trying to walk in this pride and, and, and understood that Jesus is the one who changes lives and not us. It's not us who can fix people. But also, when we walk in pride, not only do we forget that it's Him who has the power and not us, we also misunderstand who He is and what He's called us to do. Look at verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So everybody's astonished at what, what Jesus is doing. 
But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they may not perceive it, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And so Jesus comes down off the, uh, off the mountain. His disciples have failed to, to heal this little boy. Jesus heals this little boy, and everyone's amazed. They're astonished. They're marveling at what Jesus has done. They're marveling at the majesty of God. And as everyone's kind of crowded around talking about how wonderful Jesus is, he turns and he looks at his disciples and he says, let these words sink into your ears. In other words, listen to what I'm about to tell you because it's going to be important. It's going to be on the test. You need to know this material. He says, you, I'm going to be delivered over into the hands of men. And they were like, we don't get it. We don't understand it. It was concealed from them so that they couldn't understand either by their own pride or, or by God. Uh, we, we could talk about that later, but regardless, it's concealed from them, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They were too prideful to say, what does that mean? We don't get it. We don't understand. We don't understand what you just told us, so we would rather just not talk about it anymore. And so they decided to talk about something else, about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Like Jesus is standing in front of them saying, I'm going to die uh, to pay for your sins. And as he's speaking to them, their response is, is they're trying to divide up the kingdom. Their response is, how are we going to divvy up this take? How are we going to take all this money? How are we going to take all this power and divide it amongst ourselves? Who's going to be boss? Who's going to write the checks? Who's going to have their name on the door? That's what they're trying to figure out. It's Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. These guys are trying to figure out who's greatest among them, these men who Peter's putting his foot in his mouth on the, on the mountainside, and these other guys who have failed miserably in front of everybody, but they want to know who's greatest among them. Why? Because they're watching as everybody else is praising Jesus and seeing what Jesus is doing, and they're thinking, hey, we're Jesus' inner circle. Like, we're on the inside. They're going to come to us eventually, and we want to make sure we got the right uh, hierarchy in place. We want to make sure that we know uh, who's boss. And so they, they're talking about these things. They're arguing about these things. Who's going to be in control? Who's going to have the power? Who's going to be number one? And so Jesus looks at them, and he says, Guys, I think you might have missed it. And so he takes a little child and says they puts him at his side. He said, you see this kid? You want to be great in my kingdom? You receive one like this. You receive someone who has no status. Someone who has no resources. Someone who has nothing to offer you. In this culture, in this day that Jesus is speaking, children were, were not uh, able to provide anything for themselves. They were not seen so much as a blessing all the time as, as a liability. They, they, were, they would have been seen as someone who couldn't add to your stature or your status. And Jesus says, if you want to receive me, you receive one like this. What's his point? It's not about greatness. It's about seeing the least of these and saying, God has called me to serve them. He says, 
Whoever's going to be greatest in my kingdom is going to be the one who is the most humble and willing to serve those around him. The, the person who's going to have the most status in my kingdom is going to be the one no one even knows their name. No one even knows all that they've done. The, the person who's great in the kingdom of Jesus, the person who's great in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, is the person who does the most and complains the least and demands the least. The person who doesn't go around flaunting all that they do, but the person who is simply humbly trying to serve the Lord. Not the person who stands up and says, look at all I did, y'all better listen to me. And I'm sure everyone thinks of someone right now. That's probably a, a sign that you probably need to pray for yourself that you would quit being so judgmental, right? But, but we, we have the tendency to look at everybody else and not ourselves and not say, Lord, how do you want me to change? How am I not serving you? How am I thinking in my prideful atti- actions and attitudes that I, I deserve something that these other folks don't? And so pride causes us to miss Jesus and miss his point. It also causes us to not appreciate what he's doing through other people. Listen to verse 49. So Jesus answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. No, he doesn't say he does not follow you. He says he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, verse 50, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. And so John is sitting there, listen to Jesus say, You know, it's not about you guys, it's about me. You know, you receive little children, it's not about status, it's about serving other people. And John's like, oh, oh, I got it. I know what you're talking about. I'm totally on board, Jesus. Yeah, I saw somebody the other day, he was casting out a demon, but he wasn't walking with us, so I told him to stop. Because he didn't ask my permission, he's not part of our group. And and I get it, humility's where it's at, Jesus, and I want to tell everybody else what to do. I want to tell everybody else that if they don't walk with us, they better not be trying to get in on our action. Like, they need to come to see us first. John's response to Jesus' call to humility is, oh, uh, yeah, I told somebody the other day, they don't need to be doing stuff like that. They don't need to be serving you without us giving them approval. And Jesus is like, what? Don't stop him. If he's serving me, uh, then that's okay. Like, if he's not against me, if he's not against... Christ, if he's not against me, then why are you trying to stop him? It's interesting that we spend so much time fighting other Christians instead of simply loving the people around us. I heard one celebrity pastor who always gets asked, you know, about different people and about different movements, and he's like, you know, I really just believe that it's not my job to police Christianity. Like, it's my job to be faithful where I am. Guys, how much time would we save if we quit worrying about everybody else and focused on what Christ has called us to do? Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing and worry about what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus says, don't worry about them. You focus on me. You focus on following me. Uh, And then also, pride causes us to overreact to people who don't like us. Verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And so Jesus knows that it's almost time for him to go to the cross. And so as these days are getting closer, he gets ready to go to Jerusalem. And as he's getting ready, he sends people ahead of him to prepare for him. Well, one of the villages they got to go through is Samaria, uh, through one of the Samaritan villages. And so as they get closer, it says here that the Samaritans were like, no, you can't stay with us. You don't worship on our mountain, you don't stay here. you got to go on to Jerusalem. 
You like Jerusalem so much? That's where you're going. We have no rooms for you here. We don't want you in our town. So they reject Jesus flat out. They reject Jesus staying in their town. And so Jesus keeps moving. But then look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, the guys who have been instructed on humility, right? And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Their response to someone who does not like them, someone who rejects them, is, you want us to kill them? I feel like we should probably kill them, right? Like they need to be incinerated. There's no way they should be able to stand against us. There's no way they should be able to reject us. That kind of hurts my feelings, Jesus. Come on, me and John will take care of you. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this. You just, you just stay back, almost like they're his, his bodyguards or something, like they're holy hitmen, like, we'll call fire down. Lightning bolt for you, you, and you. You know, like, that's, that's their attitude towards those who reject them, to those who hurt their feelings, is, I think they ought to be obliterated. And Jesus' response is, verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them. And went on to another village. And so you could just picture these two men looking at Jesus and saying, they hurt my feelings, I think they should die. We ever have that same attitude though? Like we should be able to deal out punishment to people who reject us? The people who hurt our feelings? The people who don't do what we want them to do? As if we get to stand in the place of God and judge them? God's job, not ours. God doles out the judgment. That's not our job. We don't have to do that. Now, understand this. I mean, when you walk with Jesus, other people who don't walk with Jesus may not like you because of Jesus. He said, if they didn't like me, they sure ain't going to like you. On the flip side of that, uh, through the years and, you know, a long time ago, I'm sure. I'm sure I haven't known anybody like this in a long time, but people will talk about being persecuted for being Christian. And the more you talk to them, you find out they're persecuting for being obnoxious. And they're just blaming it on it, being Christians. Have you ever known anybody like that? Surely not, right? The people in their life don't like them because of their attitude, not because they follow Christ. So we've got to be careful about that. that I'm drifting again. But, but my point is that it's not our job to tell people <laughs> that they do it. Uh, it's not our job to pour out God's wrath on people. That's God's job. Our job is to speak of G- Jesus to them. Our job is to speak of Christ's love to them. They're thinking that they need to be Elijah. Elijah did that some in the Old Testament, but that's because Elijah had a different role than James and John have. Their job is to spread the gospel, not lightning bolts. And so don't hear anything else. Don't spread lightning bolts. Spread the gospel. And so, and so we see here that the, the people of God, if we're not careful, we'll allow pride to cause us to overreact to the people in our lives that reject us, that hurt our feelings. And what we ought to be doing is showing humility. What did Jesus do? He went on to the next town. Maybe this morning, that person in your life that's driving you crazy, it's just time for you to move on. Move past them. There's no reason to sit there and fight them. Lastly this morning, followers of Jesus need Jesus. People who follow Jesus are imperfect people given an impossible calling, but all the while trusting Christ inexhaustible grace. As you read through this passage, you know what I feel? You may feel it by now too. Exhaustion. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt dealing with these guys every day? Like, be humble. They're like, we got it. Lightning bolts. Like, 
obey. Uh, we got it. We're going to do what we want. Like, I mean, that's how these guys acted every turn and every day. Jesus had to deal with them every single day, and he never destroyed them. He never wiped them out. He deals with you every day, too. In grace and in mercy, as you look through the rest of Luke's gospel, you look through any of the gospels, you look through the book of Acts, you look through the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, and you find a bunch of people who are not even this close to being perfect. Or not even barely close to being perfect. You find people who are so imperfect. You find people who are so in need of grace, who are simply trying to follow Christ and do what he's called them to do imperfectly, but trying all the, all the more. Following him every step of the way, even when we fail. Even when we fall, even when we have those opportunities for improvement, we continue to follow him. Jesus uh, has his followers follow him almost all the way to the cross, right? They all, they all run away in the Garden of Gethsemane, but Jesus goes on to the cross. He goes on to the place where he's going to pay for their sins. Think about this for a moment. I was thinking about this this morning. Jesus, as he's walking on his way to the cross, he's walking with some men who, as he's telling them that he's walking to the cross, are arguing over who's going to get the biggest cut out of his kingdom. He's walking with men who misunderstand almost everything he says and don't understand and don't listen all the way up until the time he dies for them. That's real grace. That's real forgiveness. That's real mercy. And that's the same grace and the same mercy he offers you this morning. As a follower of Christ, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, can I tell you that you're imperfect? I know you don't want to hear it, but it's true. You've got some opportunities for improvement in your life. I guarantee you, every one of us in this room have places where we are not living up to what God has called us to. But that's no reason to give up. That's no reason to quit. That's no reason to pretend like they aren't there. No, he calls us to continue following him, continue trusting him, continue believing that he has more grace than we have sin. Believe that he has more forgiveness than we have mess-ups, than we have uh, those imperfections in our life, those places where we just totally blow it and sin against him and, and do everything that we ought not to do. He continues to show us grace. Every time we turn and say, Lord, forgive me, guess what he does? He forgives you. Every time we turn and say, Lord, I I messed up again. Receive me back. Guess what he does? He receives you back. And so this morning, if you're here and you're like, it's been a while since I walked the way that Jesus would have me to walk. Can I ask you to return to him again? Can I ask you to return and ask for his grace again? His grace never runs out and never ends. It never gives up. You're never going to say, Lord, I need grace. And he's going to say, sorry, all done. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to come back to him this morning if you've walked far from him. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted on him, you're like, I, I can't. I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. Join the club. Literally, join the church. <laughs> I mean, we all are imperfect. We all have disobeyed, but we walk with Jesus because of his grace. You don't need to be perfect. You need his forgiveness. If you're waiting to be perfect before you follow him, you will never follow him. If you're waiting to be good enough before you follow him, before you serve him, you will never do it. Because there will never be a time where you think, okay, I'm finally good enough. There will always be those little things you should have done. Those little things you should have said. Those little places that you wish you would have done or not done those things. 
God calls you to trust on Him. He calls on you to ask for His forgiveness because you are sinful. Not because you are good, but because you are sinful. And you need His grace. You need His mercy this morning. So would you ask Jesus to save you even now? If you would stand with us, and as you stand... Uh, we're going to sing, and as, you, as we sing, would you come and pray with us? Would you come and, and respond to the Lord? Let's pray.